You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you this morning, God. We thank you for the beauty of your creation. and God, we just come together corporately and we want to say, God, that we need your presence. That we want you to infuse yourself into our lives so much so that we wouldn't count our lives as our lives any longer, but it would just be a tool for your work to accomplish your will on this earth. God, we surrender our wills again to you today and we ask that you would open up our minds, that you would unlock our minds to understand the scriptures just like you did for the disciples so long ago, God. Stir in our hearts. Allow us to see you and allow us to meet you in a brand new way, God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for showing up on a three-day weekend. I know you guys could be skiing someplace and um, sleeping in, whatever you guys want to do. Can I start by telling you guys a, a, a story? Remember last week I got to speak to you guys and, and uh, I talked about throwing away your pacifiers and I linked that into um, kind of judging people and how, how and when we know um, that it is our opportunity to help somebody along or to correct them. Um, but, but really I hung on, on the points at which that we really shouldn't be um, judging other people. Thank you, Ramel. Um, <laughs> this week, I totally got judged. Um, I got <laughs> I got judged by somebody I don't even know who they are. Um, I <laughs> some of you guys know. I'll I'll meet with I'll meet with some of the guys um, if if they're going through something or just want to just want to hang out and and talk about. Uh, discipleship or or their life or decisions that they're making and so um, this past week I I went to lunch with this guy and um, and sometimes I'll just I'll just pick up the bill I'll just pay for me and him and and I did it this time I have no idea what I was thinking I I honestly I've I've rethought this so many times in my mind some of you guys, some of you guys are servers and and uh, waiters or waitresses, and and so I know that there's this like unwritten rule that that like twenty percent, fifteen percent, ten percent, as far as tipping goes, it's like today standard is like if you don't tip twenty percent, it's like you hate your waiter. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I I honestly remember growing up, um, since I'm much much older than you guys that there, the standard was 10% at one time. And then a few years later, the standard became 15%. It's not like they advertised this in the newspapers. It's not like, you know, it's not like the, um, they come out and with the raising or lowering of the interest rates, they also let you know what uh, the appropriate tip level is. <laughs> it's just an unwritten rule. And um, so for, for whatever reason, today it's, it's 20%. I... I tip 20% all the time. I, I just, it's easy to calculate 10% and then double it, and so that's just what I do. Um, for, I, I don't know what it was. I have no, I have no idea. Um, 
I, I tipped somewhere between 15 and 20 percent when I, when I picked up the bill uh, this past week. Uh, and <laughs> I got railed for it. Not in my face. Um, I found out because, because you guys are kind of all connected. This is a, co a community that's interwoven and connected. And uh, I got texted later on in the week uh, by one of my good friends. And, and he said, hey, were you at this restaurant uh, earlier this week? And, and I said, yeah. And he said, well, word on the street is that you didn't tip very well. I was like, excuse me? And honestly, like when I left the tip, I didn't think like, oh, I'm, I'm, I really didn't like my waiter or waitress or whatever. And, uh, and so he, he then tells the story to me that he showed up to the place where he worked and there was this girl who wasn't even my waitress. It was a different girl that was telling people that Evan Martin left a bad tip. I don't know who this girl is. I've never, I've never talked to her in my life. Okay, she's she's very well c connected to this church, though. She's not. She she doesn't work here. She she's involved in in uh, a different program, and and she happens to work also at this restaurant. Three separate times, she told the different waiters or waitresses that were on shift that Evan Martin tipped poorly. She had no idea that the last time that I had been to that restaurant, uh, I, was, I was with somebody who's, who's a missionary, and uh, so I paid again. But in the course of that conversation, the friend that I was, that I was eating with noticed that the waitress had a mill sticker on her, on her uh, bifold little thing. And... She, she didn't interact with me. I didn't know that she knew who I was or anything. But I picked up the bill, and the bill was like $20.80. I tipped $20. The, the girl who then is talking about me has no idea that I had done that. You guys would have never, ever known that I tipped $20, except for the fact that there's some girl who I have no idea who she is, but she knows me, that's telling people that she works with that a pastor at New Life tipped poorly. Poorly, still, mind you, somewhere between 15 and 20 percent. <laughs> you have no idea where people are coming from. Like I said last week, not everybody in this room has written an autobiography. If, if we have written an autobiography, then we, we have allowed people to a certain degree to judge our lives and to judge our actions and to judge our viewpoints and all of that. But because we haven't written an autobiography and because we haven't invited people, I, I just tell you that story because I think sometimes we sit in chairs and we listen to somebody speaking and we think, oh, they're in ministry. And we forget that every day, each and every one of us is in ministry. See, because this girl, if she comes and prays at the World Prayer Center or comes to the mill and worships or interacts with her friends, I've been told she's a wonderful person to interact with. Still, I've, 
I've yet to meet her, but that's what I've been told. And for some reason, she, she's compartmentalized her new life separate from her restaurant life. And so when she goes to work, it's totally okay for her to, to speak against what somebody did or didn't do. And she has no idea that the people that she's interacting with, very few of them are Christians. And the majority of them have had interactions with Christians that they live to regret. And therefore, that's the reason probably why they're not connected into a church or into a life-giving community. And so here's, here's a girl just like you, just like me, that she probably loves the Lord with all her heart. She wants to spend time in worship and prayer, and she wants to be in the community. But, but then once she's out of that community, she doesn't know how to appropriately interact. It, it would have been great if she would have said, when she heard somebody complaining, oh, I didn't get 21%. She, it would have been great if she would have just said, oh, I'm, I'm sure he just miscalculated. I'm sure he didn't mean it. Or even as a Christian to say, how much were you short? A dollar? Two dollars? Here, I know you deserve it. And to make up for the weaknesses of those around us. I can make mistakes. I don't, I don't get to stand here because I'm perfect. <laughs> if that was the case, we'd all be staring at a blank wall, I think, for 45 minutes, right? So I don't stand up here thinking, oh, I'm better than you guys, or I'm more holy than you guys. No, I, I stand up here catching, catching eyes and, and faces of people that, that I look up to. And there's, and there's different characteristics of each and every one of you that I wish that I could be as good as you guys. And so I think, I think just touching on last week to, to begin with, it just hit me in the face <laughs> of, boy, I better not judge somebody because I have no idea. If it was just a mistake, I have no idea if where they where they were coming from. How how would she even know if that waitress just did a poor poor job of serving me? She could have spilled a drink on me for all that that girl knows. So I say that, but but I think I think we can all help each other out. I think that we can all cover over the the failings. Of, of those that are around us, and that brings me to, to, tonight or today's title, which is the great truth about forgiveness. I want to talk to you guys about humility, and I want to do so by telling you a story that you guys all know. Um, there was a man a long, long time ago, and and this man was a very powerful man, and something happened to him that he ended up writing a letter to the entire world. He addressed it to the known world at that time because of, because of how thankful he was at what he had seen, what he had experienced, and then where he landed. This, this person had seen um, three, three guys were supposed to be executed. And um, they, they, were supposed to be, they were supposed to be burned in a fire. And this man... This man watched as they were as they were brought through and shown to all the people, and then 
and then out of God's grace, they were totally saved. This prompted this man to then say, praise God, because these, the God who these people believe in is the God of all. Forget all the other gods that I know. Forget all the gods that I've worshipped. Forget all the gods that I've established my life upon. This great miracle that I saw has totally revolutionized my life. You guys know who it is. It's Nebuchadnezzar. And it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into the fiery furnace. And, and then you guys know that Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and saw four people and saw that, that they weren't harmed at all. And so he called them out. And we call, when he called them out, they weren't even singed. Their hair wasn't burned. Their clothes were untouched. And so Nebuchadnezzar praised God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was blessed for a certain amount of time, and then, and then he had another dream. And Daniel interpreted this dream, and he said, he said, O king, may this dream be about your enemies, and please may it not be about you. But then he interpreted the dream to Nebuchadnezzar and said, in fact, king, this is about you. And it was a dream about a tree, and this tree was, was a beautiful, strong tree, but then this tree was cut down. And so what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in this prophecy, it was foretold that he, would be, that he would be cut down and cast away. And a little while later, after Daniel interprets this dream, Nebuchadnezzar is walking around, probably on the roof of his palace, and he's looking out at Babylon. He's looking out at his life and how far he's come, how much he's accomplished, the greatest city in the known world at that time. And he basically takes pride in it. And he says, look at what I've accomplished. And in the same hour that Nebuchadnezzar took pride in what he did, he was totally cast down. It says he was forced out by the men surrounding him, and he became like a wild beast. This is an interesting story that kind of rarely gets touched on, and, and it's, because, it's because for the next seven years, there's very little written about it except for in the, in the letter, which is Daniel chapter 4, that King Nebuchadnezzar actually wrote chapter 4 of Daniel. And it's the letter to the, to, to the entire world. But over the next seven years, his, his fingernails and toenails grow out like claws. It says when they found him after seven years, he had been eating grass and his hair had turned to become like the feathers of an eagle. So just, just a crazed lunatic. This was a man who, if, if anybody had a posh existence back in the B.C. era, Nebuchadnezzar had it. He had everything that he could possibly want. Um, he, was, he was one that was responsible for one of the seven um, ancient wonders of the world, which was the Hanging Gardens. His... his, his throne and his empire was vast and it was great but here's a man who because of basically one sentence taking pride in the fact that he thought he himself had put himself in that position god cut him down instantly and so he spends the next seven years it says it says that the dew from heaven was was on him meaning that he just slept out in the fields and he became like a beast and then after seven years, this is what happened. Let's read, let's read from Daniel chapter 4 from King Nebuchadnezzar's own words. 
chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The NIV there says sanity twice. But other translations say, and you can fill in the blanks, I think, on, on your notes. I haven't looked at your notes yet. Um, with humility comes understanding and reason. Because other translations translate sanity for understanding and reason. And it wasn't until Nebuchadnezzar, seven years later, potentially, looked up to heaven and regained a right positioning of who he was in comparison to our great God. The God who had, who had saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from blazing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have that ability. He didn't have that power. But somehow he looked out upon his kingdom and he thought more highly of himself than he ought. And then it wasn't until seven years later that he finally looked up to heaven and praised God. And I think that just as I was severely humbled this week when I realized, man, I made a fool of myself with this person at that restaurant that I didn't tip 20%, whether that's, whether that's right or wrong, I, I realized, man, I just need to be more careful. I just need, I just need to walk in a way where... I am really, really looking out for the best interests of, those, of all those that I interact with. With humility comes understanding and reason. And I think sometimes when we walk around and we're frustrated at where God has us in our life, and we see other people excelling and getting promoted and moving forward and having all these great opportunities, or getting a boyfriend or getting a girlfriend or whatever it is that you wish or hope to attain or grasp onto, I think, I think sometimes that, that God holds us in a temporary state of insanity. <laughs> I think he kind of confuses our minds just a little bit because he wants us to cry out to him because if we can accomplish all that we want to accomplish in our own strength, then what need do we have of him? And so when you reach a point of frustration in your life and you think, Man, God, I feel like I'm just going around in this circle, in this circle, and I can't, I can't get out of this pocket of my life. I think it would be okay to, to call it, that was, that was kind of my insanity years. <laughs> that was the time where I was just kind of a beast. <laughs> I, just, I was just eating grass, and maybe, maybe you could just say, I was just eating ramen noodles. 
maybe some of you guys are kind of in that stage of life where it's just like, God, if I could just get above the point at which I'm living from paycheck to paycheck or from 20% tip to 20% tip, and if, and if you ever get tipped less than 20%, then it's like, God, I can't even pay my bills. And that's why, and that's why it's, so, it's so personal to people because they feel like you're not allowing them to pay your bills. And, and I, th- I think it's because sometimes we live with this, with this thought that I can make it. I can do it on my own. Just like Nebuchadnezzar said, look at what I accomplished. And maybe life is good for you, but you, you look back and you think, I did this all by myself. I think God will intentionally kind of put some hurdles in your life that are just a little bit higher than where you can jump. And I think he does it just to remind you that it's he who gives you the ability to jump. It's he who gives you the ability to run. It's he who gives you the ability to carry hot, blazing hot plates and set them down. Have you ever been handed a plate that was just too hot? (laughs) You wonder how servers can hold those things that are just like straight out of the oven? Sometimes... Sometimes God will frustrate you. I, I, I do believe that. I think God has a plan for your life. And I know that God wants the best for you. But the best for you is not necessarily what you would write out as the best for you. Because God's perspective is so much greater than ours. So if we remember to stay humble, I think that God will give to us a new level of understanding and a new level of reason. And it might just be that new level of intellect that your employer will look at you and say, you know what, I want you in this position. Or that girl will look at you and say, you're not so dumb after all. <laughs> See, the, there is a problem with doing good, though. Because as we, as we then say, all right, God, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to go, I'm going to go and I'm going to do good things. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put aside these things that I've struggled with. I'm going to put aside all these things that kind of hold me back. I'm going to lay down my pride and now I'm going to do good. There's a problem with doing good. If you guys go to Romans chapter 7 with me, verse 21. You guys, you guys know Romans chapter seven um, because it's it's kind of the funny verse of the of the Bible where it's like a tongue twister and, and Paul says um, basically the the good that I want to do I cannot do but that which I do not want to do I, I th- that is what I do and and it's a series of verses that if I were to read them to you I'm sure that I would make one or two mistakes just in reading them but kind of towards the end of that Romans chapter seven verse twenty one says. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. See, there's a, there's a problem when we try to do good. Because I think everybody in this room wants to do good. And then we do a couple of things that are good. And all of a sudden, people start recognizing each of you guys as a small group leader or as a missions team leader or somebody who, who has done these things or, or said these things. And, and so people, people will come to you for advice or they'll, or they'll start hanging around you because, because they, want, they want to look like you. They want to be like you. See, but the problem with doing good is that evil is right there. 
and that this is such an unsaid, unwhispered thing about our faith and our walk with Christ, is that when we want to do good, I, I guarantee you this, when you reposition the vector of your life and say, you know what, I'm no longer going this direction, but I'm going this direction, all of a sudden on Satan's radar screen in whatever compound he has, there's a blip on the map and it says, boop, boop, boop. And all of a sudden your name comes up and your location, your address, all of your external identity points come up on this, on this data sheet and Satan is like, uh-oh, we need to stop that. Wow. Because, because those of us who do good are kind of congratulated in this, in this weird community of like, oh, you did good. Oh, that's great. You must be good. And I'm here to tell you that when you try to do good, Satan will want to trip you and pull you down and tackle you like an inside linebacker. He will make you want to fumble the ball that you are trying to carry to advance the cause of the kingdom of Christ. And so in this, we have to know that even when somebody's doing good, we can't, number one, put our faith in that good person, right? If we've all learned a lesson, we've learned that one. And so you don't put your faith in a good person. You don't put your faith in a good deed. Your faith remains in the Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is the only one who will not fail you, who will not let you down. And if we begin to put roots into the faith of those around us, then our faith becomes just a little bit experimental or a little bit invalid because our faith needs to be rooted not in the experiences or the good works of those around us, but in the good work that is being done in us through Jesus Christ. But as you try to do good, evil is right there with you. And so the problem with doing good is that you have a greater opportunity to fall. And so you risk everything when you try to do good. All of you have put your life up on the block and you're risking it all. Because if you try to do good, you've opened your life up to the fiery darts of the evil one. And so I don't want you guys to think, oh, I did good. Oh, I did good. I, I've lived one day good. Whatever that one day is, void of whatever you would maybe struggle with, I've lived one day good. And then you put another day onto that. And then a week later, you're feeling really good about yourself. Or a month later, you're feeling great about yourself. And then, and then a few months later, other opportunities come to you because of you putting good on top of good on top of good on top of good. And then you forget that Romans chapter 7, verse 21 says that when I do good, evil is right there with me. That that is, that is twofold, that evil is right there with me. Because Satan wants to attack us, yes, but also there is a portion of our old self that we have to kill every single day of our life. That sometimes we can over-spiritualize things with the piercing the darkness type of analogy that there's these dark evil spirits that are, that are hovering over us. 
that are just outside of the World Prayer Center waiting for us to walk out of the force field of the World Prayer Center, and then they're going to get us. I think that, I think that we over-spiritualize that sometimes, and by over-spiritualizing it, we lessen the impact that we think that they have. Because something that's intangible is hard for us to grasp onto and therefore uh, put, put into our life. But what Paul is saying here in that whole chapter is that it's not necessarily just Satan coming after him, but it's himself coming after him. And so what happens sometimes is that you do good, 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 you have Awesome opportunities open up to you. You have great friends. You're, you're in a great small group or a great missions team. And then all of a sudden your pride gets to a level at which point your old self is like, gotcha, <laughs> and chokes the life out of you. And you wake up one morning and you say, how in the world could I have done that? And so there is a problem with doing good that we all have to keep in mind. But I think, that, I think that problem is solved with the word community. See, pride keeps us disconnected from community. And if we stay in community, then we have friends that will keep us humble. Hopefully you have friends that tell you, you're not all that smart. You know, you talk and talk and you talk for like 30 minutes straight about all these great things that you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish and I, ha- I haven't seen you get a better job, or I haven't seen you get a job, <laughs> or I haven't even seen you have enough guts to ask this girl out. I hope you have friends in your life that are kind of that honest to you, that, that keep that pride, that, that you have friends that kind of wear boxing gloves, that they're not fighting you, they're just fighting your pride. They're just fighting the evil that, that is right there with you, <laughs> that wants to kind of stand in front of you every chance that, that you get. Pride keeps us disconnected from community. See, now, there's, there's a problem with Romans chapter 8, verse 1, too. If you guys will go, if you guys will go to that. Most of, you guys, most of you guys know this verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Do any of your Bibles have verse 2 right after that? Do, do any of your Bibles, it's, it's just, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, comma, chapter, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Is that what most of your Bibles say? The NIV says that. But do you guys realize the NIV you guys could look it up, copyright. I, I'm not exactly sure. I think NIV was copyrighted in 1976 or 1978. You guys could, you guys could look that up. 1973, says the doctor. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so 1973. I grew up thinking the NIV was the Bible. Do you realize that most of our parents grew up thinking that the NIV was kind of like in the category of how we think of the message today. It was kind of a newer translation. It was kind of modern-day language. Well, what the brilliant people 
that, that translated the NIV did was for whatever reason, they took out a portion of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and it's the second portion. Now, the, probably the reason why they did it is because when you're collecting ancient manuscripts, some of them are different because the Bible was translated and passed along, and, and Romans originally was just a, a letter, maybe, lit, maybe written on animal skin. <laughs> Paul, Paul wrote down, using his own handwriting, very, very few words. He actually, had, he actually kind of just spoke it out and paid somebody to write for him. And so it was just different than how we send emails today. And so there, I'm sure there's different reasons for that. But let me tell you what some of your Bibles say. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, comma, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because I think sometimes we can quote, there is now... Therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we use it to justify certain things in our life that we allow. And so, so we, we sort of allow these things and we say, hey, there's no condemnation. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm saved. Look, I can do this or I can do that. And it's totally fine. But if we read that second part of that verse that's thrown out there is... For those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so, the reason why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it's those who are walking according to the Spirit. Those who are, who are tuned in, who wake up every morning and say, and say, okay, God, I'm living this day completely sold out to you. But... I would say that that second part of that verse tells us that there might just be condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Those who, who wake up and go to Sunday school on a Sunday morning, we who are in Christ Jesus, if we walk according to our flesh, I think this verse allows for there to be some condemnation. You can define that word a couple different ways, but I think... I think there's room there for condemnation to mean you need some friends to put on boxing gloves and battle your flesh and battle your pride. Because if your friends are saying, you're going there again? Dude, I thought you gave that up. And you're like, man, it's totally okay. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. Or Jesus drank wine. How many times have you heard that? You know? Because there's certain areas, and I'm not going to get into alcohol or smoking or, or anything like this. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not even going to touch that. Because I think if I stay away from the, the specifics, I think it will bring to your mind exactly what God wants you to think about today. And so, and so I think that sometimes if you try to justify something, it's usually not worth doing. And that's kind of one of those sentences that I try to live my life by, that if I have to, if I'm doing something and I'm doing it because, well, this is what happened to me, or I deserve this, or I deserve that, I think we'll get caught up in a place where we just don't even need to be in the first place. When you have to justify something, it's pretty much 
usually just not worth doing. And if, if you stop justifying your actions for some of those reasons, I think you'll have an easier time living your life and an easier time doing good. Because if you're justifying something, I think you're, li- you're leaving the door cracked open for your old self or for Satan to go, gotcha. Because you could have just done good. You could have just done something that helped to strengthen the kingdom of Christ. And then you do something over here and it totally wipes it away. By me not tipping 20%. I have no idea what that did to the people at that, at that restaurant. That could have been the tipping point for somebody to say, you know what, I'm just never going back to church because they don't live it right. How terrible is that? That's such a tiny thing. But you know what? Sometimes I find Christ is really concerned about tiny things. The little, 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 little things in our life. God really is concerned about them. Why? Because holiness and cleanliness has everything to do with 100%. You can have a cup that's like 90% clean, and I guarantee you, you're not going to drink out of it. And so, if it just has one little speck, have you ever been brought out a cup of ice water, and it's just like, is that lipstick on there? (laughs) I know I don't wear lipstick. And so I know that's not mine. And so what do we do? We send it back. That cup could have been totally clean on the inside. And it could have had just one little smudge on the outside. And we send it back. I think God is totally concerned with the details of our life. Because holiness has everything to do with 100%. (laughs) Lightning McQueen underpants. Uh... I told you guys last week a little bit about, about my son Noah, who's three years old, and he's, he's trying his best to give up his pacifier. And um, he's, he's also being potty trained, and I told you about the joys of, of having a potty, a, a potty training son fly in an airplane with you and try to cram into a bathroom like that and have him not touch anything. Um, but so he he got to this point, Noah did, of really understanding that he needs to sit on the toilet without being crass here. He's he's really understood it. And so you progress and you guys will have the joy of progressing from diapers to then pull ups to then finally underpants. And underpants for you means that you don't have to clean up poopy diapers. <laughs> you don't have to go through the stink and the mess of all of that. And so really, it's like, it's a great thing. It's, it, it might rank up there with like graduating high school or graduating college. I'm sure I'll be just as proud of those moments as I am of him getting out of diapers because it's just, it, it, it is one, the toilet's a wonderful thing. Um, and so he totally got this. He, he moved from diapers to then pull-ups, and we got him into pull-ups because the pull-ups were Lightning McQueen pull-ups, Lightning McQueen from the Cars movie. And, um, and so he, he loved these things, and, and they, they, they help you understand 
that whole aspect of it. And then once he's kind of gotten through that, then, then he gets underpants, and, and they're big boy underpants. And so he goes to Walmart, and he picks out, he, he gets Lightning McQueen, and he gets the king, and he has, he has a couple of these things that have cartoon cars on them, and, and they're just the joy of his life. <laughs> he loves these things. And when he wakes up in the morning or from his nap and, and he gets to put on Carr's underpants, it just, it just lights him up. And so, and so all of a sudden, this past week, he went from like totally understanding the whole potty training to just not getting it at all. And I don't know if it was because I was busy doing mission stuff and just didn't have as much time interacting with him this week as I normally do. Um, I, I don't know what it was. He just kept having accidents. Well, yesterday, while, I'm, while I was watching the kids, um, he, he had another accident again. And so I, you have to take him to the toilet, and he has to sit on the toilet. And then, and then you take his, his pants and his Lightning McQueen underpants, and, and you have to put them in the wash. And then I'm realizing, as he's sitting on the toilet, that he's asking me to, to wear his Sarge underpants, which is the Jeep in the Cars movie, for those of you guys who don't know. And that's like one of his favorite under, pair of underpants. I digress here, but this, the point of that is in that moment, I realized he was on to something. <laughs> if he had an accident in his underpants, it meant that he got to wear a brand new pair of underpants. <laughs> he was super happy about getting to change his underpants. <laughs> it took us a couple of days, but we caught on. <laughs> And so I'm standing there in the bathroom, and this revelation is dawning on me that if I go up and get him new underpants, the chances of him having an accident in these new underpants are greatly increasing. <laughs> and so I thought to myself, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to put you back in a pull-up. I'm going I'm to kick you back down to that stage. And he was crying and fussing, and he was upset about that. And... And I thought, this is, the only, this is the only way that I can get you to understand. And it's more expensive, obviously, if he has, if he has an accident in pull-ups, because if he has an accident in underpants, you can clean them. Pull-ups, you throw them away. But I'm, I'm willing to pay a little bit more for him to kind of understand that. And wouldn't you know it, <laughs> in the midst of all of that, God is like, do you understand? that this isn't necessarily about Noah and about accidents or about Lightning McQueen underpants. This is about a process of forgiveness. And see, the great thing about forgiveness is that, that well, before I say the great thing, I, let's, let's just get what the standard is kind of, of, of what we're taught, of what a 20-something Christian growing up in America knows forgiveness to be. And that is, you can mess up, you can sin, you can fall, you can fail, and all you got to do is ask for forgiveness. And you pray a simple prayer, you tell God and maybe a friend what you did, and all of a sudden you're forgiven. And then you just kind of move on. And I think that's kind of pretty standard across the way. It's like, thank God for forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me for my sins. And then you move on and... and and you say, God, I, I, you, you, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. 
and you pray that prayer over and over and over again. And you say, God, I no, really, God, this time I'm 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 totally done. I'm I'm never going to do this again. And you find yourself praying this prayer of forgiveness for the same exact thing that you've struggled with for so long, promising God that you're done struggling with it. But we have this understanding of forgiveness that that when we ask for forgiveness, it kind of just just kind of erases the slate. We get to start over. That's as far as the east is from the west. God loves us. I'm okay. And then we kind of move on. And in that moment yesterday, I realized, you know what? The great thing about forgiveness is that forgiveness doesn't allow us to stay exactly where we were. True forgiveness moves us beyond that point of struggle. And sometimes forgiveness will move us forward. Sometimes forgiveness will move us back. Because my heart for Noah, the, the heart of a father, is, is unconditional love. I, if he was 20 and still peed his pants, I would love him to death. <laughs> He'd be a little bit strange. He'd probably be living at my house. But it wouldn't change my love for him. I would be working with him at trying to correct this problem. But it would never, ever change my love for him. But just like I was unwilling to put him back in a new set of underpants, I was more willing to put him back down a stage. I think sometimes each and every one of us in here has found ourselves kind of back down a stage. And then we kind of blame it on everybody but us. And we think, God, why, why am I back here again? Why am I not favored? Why am I not promoted? Why am I not loved? Why am I not this or that? And we're kind of back into this pull-up stage of our life. And I think it's because the great thing about forgiveness is that Christ won't let us stay exactly where we were. Sometimes he kicks us forward. Sometimes he holds us back. But the last thing he's going to do is just allow us to be forgiven to stay in this sin cycle of saying, God, I'm not going to do this again, I promise. Please forgive me. All right, I love you. Be with me throughout the day. Type of a prayer, type of a person, right? So if you find yourself in that position where you feel like, God, what? why can't I get out of this? Think about that. And think about the accidents that you've had lately where you've stumbled or you've fallen, maybe in the point of trying to do good. You did good, but evil was right there. And remember King Nebuchadnezzar, that he had accomplished so much. He's one of the best-known kings in all of history. But God cut him down immediately and said, you know what? I'm going to make you eat grass for a little bit until you realize who I am and who you are. And I'm going to do it. Why? Why is he so well-known? Maybe he's so well-known because he wrote chapter 4 of the book of Daniel as a letter to the whole world. Because how many people came to know the one true holy God because of a letter sent 
from a redeemed king. Some of you guys are princes. Some of you guys are princesses with a destiny called to be kings and queens in the kingdom of Christ. And part of your destiny is to, to write a letter which is your life that's written and addressed to the entire known world. That wherever you go, people know who you are and what you stand for. And then it could be little things of leaving a tip or big things of making a complete fool of yourself like our former pastor. But when I read this chapter, I thought, boy, if I was Ted, I think I would read this chapter every day of my life. Because there's promise and there's redemption that God may hold you out in the wild for a while and put you in the place of complete insanity and confusion where you don't have enough understanding or reason to get yourself out of it. And it's only for the point of God saying, I just want you to focus and look upward and see that I am there and know how small you really are compared to how great I really am. Because when we're humbled, we live in a place where we have a better understanding and better reason and better capacity to live our life for the glory of God and not for ourselves. But when we're prideful, we'll just get sent back to the kitchen like a glass that has one speck because it's completely useless unless we're pursuing holiness and godliness. Because holiness is about 100%. And the great thing about forgiveness is that God is not satisfied with letting us stay right where we're at. Got it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we say, God, that we love you. God, corporately, we, we bow before you and we ask for forgiveness for the pride in our life, for the specks in our life where we haven't been concerned about the minor details that we can justify but God, we know that you are consumed with making us holy. With pushing us beyond the point of struggling through a cycle of sin. God, allow us to catch a glimpse of eternity so that we will never be the same. Allow us to be completely consumed by you, God. Help us to live our lives focused on getting those things out of our life so that we can be holy and not focused on the shortcomings and the failures of those who are around us, God. Give us a vision for our destiny in you and clasp onto our hand, God, and pull us when we don't have the strength to move with you. We give you praise, God. We honor you. And we ask that you would meet with each and every single one of us, God. That you would give us revelational knowledge of your word and of your will for our life. We give you praise and we lift you on high. In Jesus' name, amen.